Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert and i am on the road again we have relocated the element wealth studios up to the east mississippi community college community for the big job affair rhino back at super talk headquarters will be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music morning rhino howdy howdy an uneventful drive up uh, Highway 25 this morning up here to Columbus, just north and east of uh, Stark Vegas, as they call it. Always like those uneventful drives. And once again, I'm reminded en route that Mississippi is such a beautiful state. And we, of course, are still uh, mourning the tragedy over the weekend, the tornadoes that swept through our beloved state. Uh, still have us all reeling and, of course, incredibly concerned. And I've seen such unbelievable outpouring of support, financial support, uh, physical support, and, and concern from so many Mississippians, state leaders, etc. We certainly appreciate that. At 1020 in the very next segment, we'll have... Sean Tyndall, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety in Mississippi, and Commissioner Tyndall will give us an update on the efforts by Mississippi's Highway Patrol, the state troopers, their involvement in this, uh, this disaster that struck our state. And, geez, a couple of days after that, right after the show yesterday, we've got this tragedy, horrific event in Nashville, Tennessee at a Christian school, a heavily armed woman who identified as a male killed three nine-year-old students and three staff members at this private Christian school in Nashville before police shot her dead in a really a rare mass shooting carried out by a female. And Rhino for a while it appeared there was confusion because of this person's transition uh, in process to a male. However, this is a biological female, but there was a confusion that, was this a male? Was this a female? Uh, and then, I guess, some of the person's social media got leaked 
that is now being referred to by investigators, a new term that I've heard, a new phrase, digital exhaust. You heard that one before, Rhino? Digital exhaust. That's a new one to me. So I heard a couple of investigators being interviewed yesterday say, yeah, we'll have to um, really do a deep dive into this individual's digital exhaust. So some of that has already occurred. It appears that this person was, in fact, I think LinkedIn was the first information I saw, first content I saw that was released into the public square. And this person is a female transitioning to a male, attended the school, 28 years old, and having now seen the photos, I don't care what this person identified up. Let me be clear. This killer identified themselves as clearly this was a biological female that uh, I guess, as Rhino likes to say, had their feelings hurt. And so in getting their feelings hurt, they decided to take it out on innocent children and adults in a private Christian school. This is pure evil without a doubt. Apparently this person had, this killer had a manifesto at home and it even drawn a detailed map of the school. Not going to say the person's name, this killer's name, a biological female who identified as he, him, the stupid pronoun crap, former student of the school. And it appears from video evidence that this killer shot through a locked side door of the building, hoisting two AR assault style rifles and a pistol. Two of the firearms were obtained legally in the Nashville area, according to reports from the Nashville police. Most of the shooting, the killing, took place in a first floor lobby area, say police. The victims identified as nine-year-old Evelyn Dykhouse, nine-year-old Haley Scruggs, and nine-year-old William Kinney. Substitute teachers Cynthia Peak, 61, custodian Mike Hill, 61, and head of school Catherine Coots, 60, also assassinated, murdered by this flaky killer. The Nashville police did move in. I think within 14 minutes they encountered this female who was firing. That's their official quote. On the second floor of the school, two officers opened fire and killed her. You know, I think, Rhino, the worst thing we could do is refer to this person as a him, it's a damn her. We're just going to make that clear. There are only two biological genders. I'm sick of all this crap of how I identify and what my preferred pronouns are. That is uh, nonsense, honestly. And I think ripping this country apart. And I immediately started thinking about how much of this person's rage could have been fueled by the left in this country, which are constantly castigating those of us who assert that there are only two biological males. 
and uh, bio, biological genders, pardon me, male and female, period. End of discussion. But they keep feeding us this crap where, oh, no, it's based on how you identify and choose from one of these 58 or whatever it is. And if you don't see one you like, well, just make one up or be non-binary or what have you. Again, I don't care what the heck you do as an adult. I don't care who you choose to engage romantically with. Don't care. Keep it out of the schools and stop using it as a crutch. In this case, I just wonder if this manifesto that drove this person to go murder, and now I've seen some leaks, you may have too, Rhino, of some text messages, perhaps the last text messages this killer sent to a friend, said it's going to be bad today, goodbye, I love you, some crap like that. Yeah, reportedly the friend that received the messages immediately contacted police, but it was already too late. Oh. But I believe I'm I'm characterizing that accurately, right? This person, this killer informed this friend via text, it's going to be bad. And I'm going to go do something. I, I'm out of here. This is it. Something to that effect. Yeah. So you just shared with me, Rhino, uh... This is police body cam footage of them taking out this person. Wow. Yeah, the Nashville Metro PD has been incredibly transparent with this whole situation. And about 30 minutes ago now, if memory serves, they released the body cam footage from the two officers who fired the shots to take down the killer. And it's the full body cam footage from when they arrived to when it's over. Wow. Unbelievable. And uh, hats off to the uh, Nashville police. I, I got to feel that they responded very rapidly, uh, very ex- expeditiously, and they took this killer out before she killed more innocent people. I'm looking at it now, Rhino. That is incredible. Watching the police go through the school there. Uh, obviously, guns raised, and uh, looks like they're in their full body armor suits there, at least their flap jackets, uh, some of which, gosh, going through the school, just incredible. It's, man, this has got to stop. I still say that much of this could be attributed to just moral depravity in our society. And it doesn't help when we have government and, and uh, government operators that are spewing all this crap, all this nonsense, all this transphobic crap. It's got really nothing to do with that. We just don't believe you should be indoctrinating children with radical gender ideology and sexual orientation. That's not transphobic. It's just common sense. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We're in the Element Well Studios at the East Mississippi Community College Community for the job fair. Coming right back with Commissioner Sean Tindall. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the job fair at the East Mississippi Community College Community. This place is hopping today. Uh, a number of great companies exhibiting and lots of uh, prospective employees moving about uh, in the hall here in the exhibit hall in the community. This is just such a great sight to see. Honestly, this is uh, an asset for the state of Mississippi. And so is the Commissioner of the Department of Public Safety, Sean Tindall, our guest now. Commissioner, thanks for calling in today, sir. Appreciate y'all. Hope, hope you're having a great day there. Sounds like it's a really busy, uh, busy job fair. That's good. It's incredible. Uh, so many great companies, many of whom are, of course, right here in the area, Commissioner. And you see all these, these students and prospective employees, and they're, they're moving about and, and talking about job opportunities with these, these employers. This is, this is the way we grow in Mississippi. This is the way we keep our best and brightest in our state to improve the quality of life uh, in Mississippi. Uh, I know you and uh, the great folks at the the Department of Public Safety, our state troopers have had your hands full the last uh, three or four days here with the tornadoes that ripped through uh, the Delta, Silver City, Rolling Fort, and then of course over into East Mississippi and Amory. Give us the latest, Commissioner. Well, you know, obviously the events of Friday night with the tornado were, were very tragic and, and, and swiped a very broad brush across all the way across our state, uh, damaging a lot of small communities. And so um, you know, we, we've got troopers in various locations. I think we've had at least 20 to 30 uh, deployed to Roland Fork, and we've got another 20 in Amory. We've got CTED officers, the Commercial Transportation Enforcement Division officers. Uh, they're out helping the local communities, and, and we're trying to do things to, you know, have drop-off points. So if folks want to make donations um, on, on certain products, you know, we're looking for water. We're looking for paper products. We're looking for... You know bins that people can we can we can package stuff in and, and take to those that are trying to recover. Uh, we've tried to set up some drop-off points across the state so so folks can make contributions and feel confident it's going to get to the people that that need it the most. Um, and look, you know, one of the things that that is impressive to me always in our state is, is the way we all come together to help each other out um, and it, it's one of the things I know these young people are looking for uh, jobs in Mississippi and it, it's one of the great reasons to stay here is I don't, I don't think you'll find another state uh, that has as much love for each other as we do particularly in these times of need when when families have lost everything and, and they need not only uh, the government and the state to step up and help they need their neighbors and their their brothers and sisters from, from across the state to, to step up and help them too. Yeah, absolutely. So, Commissioner, how does the Department of Public Safety, how, how do you guys coordinate with the other uh, agencies and other organizations that are involved in this recovery effort, MEMA, the American Red Cross, numerous other agencies as well? Look, you know, one thing about it, Katrina gave us a lot of training on how to deal with these uh, incidences, and, and it truly was a, so massive that it, that it made us all better. 
Um, and, and Mac over at MEMA uh, and his team do a great job of trying to coordinate the responses to these emergency events. Um, and so it's been uh, it, it, they, they've done a great job leading that, and, and we let them lead that. And, and what we try to do is be support in that role uh, for them and, and provide a law enforcement uh, expertise and, and then also try to do what we can uh, while they're focusing on, on trying to get the recovery efforts with FEMA, uh, line up the charitable donations and things of that nature. Um, and so so MEMA does the coordinating, um, and, and then, you know, we, we try to play that support role, um, and we work with the other agencies. Of course, we've, we've got a drop-off set up at the Armory uh, in Jackson, uh, the old Armory building at the fairgrounds, working with the uh, uh, Department of Ag on that and uh, working with MEMA on that, partnering with them. And just everybody just doing every little bit that they can. And I will say at that uh, armory, between 9 and 3, uh, between now and Thursday, if anybody in the Jackson metro area wants to drop off any of those products, uh, we're taking them in and, and storing them, and then we're going to take them up to the various locations on Friday. Um, we've got uh, locations down at Troop K on the coast for anybody that wants to do that. Um, and, and so, and, and that's really what we're doing, trying to coordinate those efforts. And then with our troopers, I mean, they're, they're out there locally helping direct traffic, uh, trying to uh, make sure that the local enforcement, law enforcement officers can focus on the things that they need to, and, and then we're there for uh, for support for them. Uh, we met with the, the deputy chief in Rolling Fork yesterday. We're trying to get them some extra vehicles. They they lost, uh, out of eight, eight patrol vehicles, they lost all of them but two. Um, so we're trying to get them back in cars so that they can they can patrol the streets. And, and I will say this, if there's anybody out there that thinks it's a good time to be a looter or a thief um, and, and we happen to get our hands on you, we're going to arrest you and, and take you away and put you somewhere that you don't want to be uh, because we're not going to allow uh, the bad doers to, to take advantage of this situation. Absolutely. So a uh, good point about that I didn't think about is, is uh, traffic issues. I'm sure many of the roads still in the area impassable. Is that true, Commissioner? Absolutely. I mean, if you go to Rolling Fork, uh, it, it literally looks like a bomb went off. And, and power lines are down. Uh, there's no traffic signs. It's hard to find a road sign. People are walking. People are traversing. There's no street lights at night. Of course, there's a curfew in effect, so everybody needs to, to be mindful of that. But but you, you've got to have some coordination on the traffic or else it just becomes a mess, particularly when, when these companies are coming in with their 18-wheelers and equipment, and they go down a road that they used to be able to go down thinking they can get through, and then they get stuck. And the only way out is to back out. But if they've got a number of cars behind them, uh, then, then we really get in a bad situation. So, so having the troopers there and the commercial transportation enforcement division there helping direct that traffic and, and play a law enforcement role is is critical in these types of events. Have have any of uh, your your counterparts in the other states have, have they contacted you offering their service and help as well? Yes, uh, the colonel actually he heard from the uh, colonels of the Louisiana State Police, Tennessee, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, and, and and that's the great thing about our our, our brethren in the southern states is everybody. Will we hear from them, and when they have events, we call them and, and lend a helping hand and we'll try to go over there and do our part. You know, I think back a year ago or two, we had the uh, hurricane in South Louisiana. It hit Lake Charles too bad. We we sent troopers down there and, and helped with their recovery effort, and, and they're always willing to do the same for us. 
Yeah. So what what should the public do here, Commissioner? Obviously, other than uh, contributing goods and, and even funds uh, to to reputable and legitimate sources, is there anything they could do on the ground, or is it best that they stay away? I think you know. It, for right now, unless you have a reason to be there, it's best to stay away. That um, there are a lot of people on the ground helping. Uh, we've got a lot of cook teams from across the state and across the country that have come in to help. Uh, one of the things that can be detrimental is getting too many people in that area. I mean, you look at a town the size of Roller Fork; uh, two thousand people live there. Um, it's not a very large town, and then when you have an influx of all these people from out of state, and there's not a lot of resources. Uh, that are there it can cause issues. Also, we want to be mindful and make sure that we that this recovery is going to take a while, and we don't want uh, you know thousands of people coming in for the first week or two, and then after that forgetting about those that, that are still trying to recover. So, uh, what we want to do is try to coordinate some of those efforts, bring in uh, cook teams at different times, bring in relief at different times, and continue uh, with the help so that these folks can rebuild. And then you also have the the aspect of there's no power, uh, like we talked about the traffic situation, uh, the living conditions. If there's a lot of rain, it can cause some problems at this point. So it's best not to over inundate it. So if you can help by donating items that they need that are, that are non perishable uh, that we can continue to use. Uh, if you can make donations to particular families that might need help, I know there's a variety of charities that are setting up charities for individual families. But all those things are great. Um, and there will be time to come in in, in a few months, uh, a few weeks, and start helping these folks rebuild. You know, Habitat for Humanity and, and, and all these different groups I know that came down after Katrina, and I had them actually come to my house. Um, the volunteer groups that, that helped me put windows back in my house. And, and those are the things that really help. Wow. Not today, but three or four weeks from now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, quickly, Commissioner, uh, have you had the opportunity to talk to any of the folks there on the ground, uh, the mayor, um, any of the government leaders? Yeah, I've talked to some of the law enforcement leaders. Uh, I've tried to keep that in my focus and, and let yeah. FEMA and the governor talk directly to the mayors and, and if they have some needs related to me. But, but when I talk to the law enforcement folks, of course, they're going on no sleep. They're going on a lot of stress. A lot of them have lost their home um, or have loved ones that lost their home. And so we're, we're doing everything we can to make their jobs yeah. easier right now and get them the resources they need. So, Commissioner, um, appreciate you checking in with us, sir. And thanks, uh, as always, for all the great work uh, that you and the fantastic uh, team at the Department of Public Safety, the state troopers, do for our state. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We appreciate it, and thank you for all the men and women out there that are doing their jobs. Absolutely. We'll take a break right here. We're at the East Mississippi Community College Community, and when we return, it's Adam Todd, the director of the Mississippi Governor's Job Fair Network. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the East Mississippi Community College Communiversity. Joining us now, Adam Todd, the Mississippi, the director of the Mississippi's uh, Governor's Job Fair Network, Mississippi Governor's Job Fair Network. I'll get it out. Adam, thanks for coming on today. What a fantastic day we have going on here, huh? Yeah, absolutely, Jar. Thank you all for having me yeah. on. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, this is a great program run by the Mississippi Department of Employment Security where an individual can actually go toe-to-toe, face-to-face with someone who is taking part in the hiring process. So when you have this many people under one roof at one time talking to all these businesses, great things are going to happen for this community. No doubt about it. In such an impressive array, uh, Adam, of businesses exhibiting here today, and the most important thing is they're all looking for folks to come to work for them, are they not? They cannot be here <laughs> unless they are are needing to make a hire. So so you are correct. I mean, you know, I'm sure everyone wants to come to a job fair to make it look good for the company that yeah. they participated, but no, that we actually have prerequisites that yeah. you must be needing to make an immediate hire or you're gaining an application for a hire you know you're about to make. Okay. Well, I so, think, I so, think yeah, that's a very good qualification. Is, is, is needing to hire. And we've already had close to 200 people come through our doors, so we're very excited about today. What are some of the conversations that take place, Adam, when you've got uh, perspective Prospective workers visiting with employers right here in in this in this um, seminar room, I think is what they call it, and uh, all the the booths are set up, all the uh, exhibition tables, and, and those of course are staffed by uh, members of that organization, workers at that organization. Often they're HR people, right, that that are doing the hiring, involved in the hiring. What do the conversations consist of? Well, you know, the one benefit to actually being at a job fair, an event like this today, is that you can see the whole person. You're not just looking at an individual on a sheet of paper. Um, you know, that's why we really want to make sure that when we get the word out about the events that we're not saying you have to wear a suit or a dress to the yeah. job fair, but be presentable. Sure. I mean, you've got seven seconds to make that first impression. It matters. The lasting it? Impre- yes, it does. It matters. Um, you know, the organization that you're talking to may ask you to go online and fill out an application. But it's the same individual that's going to be printing that application out when they get back to the office. So now is the time that you can actually make those lasting impressions. And and when you're on the other side of the table, an organization can see the whole person. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and so uh, come with your A game, right? That's the I, message. I, your A game and a smile on your face. You'd be amazed just how far a smile will take you in this world. Smile on your face. And something else I would recommend, having um, hired a whole bunch of people in my career, is look the person in the eye when you're talking to them as well, right? Eye, eye contact goes a long way. Have positive attitude. And, and, hey, have some copies of your resume. Sure. I mean, yes, we're able to go, you know, make copies of a resume on site if we need to. Um, the Wind Job Center is right here on site, so we could create you one from scratch if yeah. it needs to be, right here on site. Yeah. But, but yeah, do your part. Do your research so that when you do walk into the event, you say, okay, I know I fit the bill for seven different um, organizations, and that's where I'm going to go first. Yeah. All right, so, so tell us a bit, Adam, about your role as the director of the Governor's Job Fair Network. Exactly what does that entail? So we plan, organize, and execute one-day job fairs all across the state of Mississippi. So um, we operate in in a pattern where we are invited and asked. We do our best to to make that happen. So um, 
Three Rivers Planning and Development District, East Mississippi Community College. Um, they would reached out to us to try to make sure that we could do an event here today. And a lot of organizations, it takes a lot of people to make something of this Absolutely. magnitude come together. Sure. So, um, you know, between the community colleges, Department of Employment Security, the One Job Center, um, Everyone had a hand in making this happen, so we we facilitate that. We we've been through the ropes. We know the A, Bs, and Cs, and and we just help all the communities make sure that all the ducks in a row and lined up. And really, a, a vast part of what we do is make sure that the organizations who are hiring are present. Yeah, uh, incredibly important. Uh, you know, the governor. This is a governor, I believe, that is uh, totally focused on and and regularly focused on growing the state's economy, understands how important it is to get jobs uh, created that are high-paying jobs, understands how important it is to make Mississippi a good place to operate a business in order to attract talent and set up shop and, and um, pursue and attract investment. He, he stays focused on that regularly, and this is a great example of that, and so is this facility. I know he was somewhat instrumental and getting this facility done. This is incredible, isn't it? it it's impressive. I, I will admit that. I mean, you know, you have all your workforce training right here in one spot, and, and they can come, learn the training. You have the companies around the Golden Triangle area that can come and take part in the training and making yeah. sure that they know exactly what they need whenever they get ready to present themselves to, to whatever ABC organization that might be. So it's a, it's a pipeline. Yeah. And, and I believe we, um, as a state, are doing a very good job of creating the pipeline for tomorrow's work. I said it last year was the first time I'd ever been here. We did a, a remote show. We need to replicate this across the state, do we not? And, and I believe it's being tried. I believe um, you know a lot of different uh, community colleges are going to this format now or yeah. attempting to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the workforce training uh, is a very big, big deal. And um, and again, just making sure the soft skills are another thing. Absolutely. And, and making sure that the soft skills are in place. And. Um, we're definitely doing our part to make sure that we're getting ready for for, for, for tomorrow. And the community colleges in Mississippi are really an incredible asset that truly do prepare uh, the students for the jobs that employers are looking to fill. There's a good connection there, I think, between the private sector and the education community. Uh, absolutely. When you come to a place like we are today here at East, um, your training is not going to be an underwater basket weed. Right. It's, it's going to be in, in what is applicable, applicable for today to make sure that you're ready to hit the real world and get the great paying job that you've been training for. So all of that comes together to make sure that you've bettered yourself and your family's futures. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and what I observed last year, Adam, was that much of the training that is conducted here, once a student completes that training, and the training has been tailored uh, working with the private sector uh, to, to um, educate students on the skills they need, provide them the skills they need to hit the ground running as soon as they're employed and go to work absolutely I mean there's not a there's not a gap we're trying to make sure that someone has the skill training and ready to go and they're directly into a job yeah you know that's a part of the great thing about today's event if someone has been looking for work trying to see what's out there I mean literally 
You can look at today's job fair, the East Mississippi job fair, as a barometer for what is happening in the local economy. Yeah. And you can see what industry is trending and heading in a certain direction, and you can then take the steps that you need to make sure that you have created the best possible route for yourself. Yeah, it's incredible. And and also, I think having this facility here and and, and having the, these, these sorts of assets to train students, that also goes a long way towards attracting industry into the area as well when they know that they could rely on that asset to get workers prepared to come to work for them. That's right. When you know you have a ready and willing workforce, of course you want to, you know, it makes it more lucrative and more, you know, shiny yeah. for, for potentials. No doubt about it. Uh, so uh, are you aware of any such efforts, um, um, formalized entities in other states that have, uh, a, a, say, a governor's kind of sanctioned job fair network? Is it something unique to Mississippi? I have done a lot of research early on in, in, in my career. I've been doing this for about 18 years now. Okay. And even just today, we had an organization ask, "Do you do? Who's your counterpart in Louisiana? Who I'm always asked, who's your counterpart in Alabama, sure. Tennessee? There's not one. Really? So as far as a state-sponsored, right? All across the state of Mississippi, right? To my knowledge, we are leading. Efforts in How about that? Well, that's good to hear. I, I like to hear when we're at top of the list on something that's so positive uh, for the state of Mississippi. That's that's really uh, good news. Um, what's uh, what's on the boards for the future? What's your vision for the organization for the future? What can we expect? Well, of course, we're we're very busy. We are definitely no strangers to our windshields. You know, after today, we're trying to make sure that we have an event close to anyone across the state. So we'll be on the Mississippi Gulf Coast at the Biloxi Civic Center next week. Uh, we'll be circling back to, to Jackson um, the week after that on the 12th at the Mississippi Trademark. So we're trying to provide as many events across the state as possible. Sure. Um, but we're also, you know, hopefully, you know, down the road we can take the job fair program and we can start getting, uh, going to, I, I call it going to the shooting range with a rifle instead of a shotgun. <laughs> and we can probably start breaking out and doing some industry-specific events. That you know? makes sense. So um, we'll, we'll see. We're hoping that we'll, we'll be there soon. How do you measure your success, Adam. The tears in the eyes of the individuals who walked out that know they're going to keep their lights on. That's awesome. I mean, That's it awesome. happens. People will walk in here today and they will leave with either a job opportunity or an additional interview throughout the week. Yeah. So when you see the smiles on those faces of some people who may have literally walked in here, and hope is a precious thing. Sure. Some people may have lost it. But when you can find that here at one of these events, that makes everything work. That's awesome. And it's a win-win for the employer as well. Absolutely. So, Adam, thanks for coming on, and congratulations on the success of the organization. And we look for uh, bigger and better things as time goes on. I'm sure we'll see those. Appreciate it, Adam. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Yep. Appreciate it. We're stepping aside for a break. The Element Well Studios at the East Mississippi Community College Community When we return, James Goodman, Plant Human Resources Manager for the the Pekar Engine Company right down the street here. Stay with us. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the East Mississippi Community College Communiversity for the job fair. We've got uh, several employers set up and lots of prospective workers as well. They're visiting with each other, trying to work something out. And joining us now, James Goodman, Plant Human Resources Manager for Picard Engine Company. James, thanks for coming on Midday, sir. Thank you for having me. So, uh, lots of folks coming in uh, the community university today looking for work, and of course, employers like your company are looking for good workers. Absolutely. How, how's it been going thus far? A lot of activity, a bunch of, I mean, you couldn't find a parking spot out there today. That's good. Still can't. We have a lot of people here, a lot of activity, a lot of interest. Yeah. What are you looking for in employees at this point, uh, James? Uh, right now, we're mainly looking for uh, maintenance, craft technicians, uh, multi-craft, as well as machine specialists. Um, so we're looking ones for someone, first and foremost, who is ready and willing to come to work. Also, that wants to learn. Um, and also, from a machining standpoint, uh, we are looking for people who really understand um, certain aspects of machining, such as um, how to use a micrometer, how to use a dial caliber, how to, how to reprint. And nowadays, EMCC does an excellent job on that because even in their manufacturing skills class, mm -hmm. uh, they cover a lot of those things already. So even you have the, even though we, don't, we do not require to work uh, keys to uh, test, uh, but a lot of those things they do test on and train on, we actually use uh, on an everyday basis in hmm. machining. So uh, does that mean then, uh, James, that if, if someone goes through the various courses here at EMCC, the community university, that they acquire these skills? They're, they're ready to hit the streets running when they come to work for you? They absolutely can, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely can. That's got to be important to you, very valuable. Very important. And like I said, we have a great partnership uh, with the community university as well as uh, EMCC. Uh, they have a lot of great programs, as I mentioned earlier, even from the machining standpoint, uh, industrial maintenance, uh, HVAC. Um, so they have a lot of great programs here uh, that can get students ready for the next level. And so are you looking for workers at the uh, at the plant here? Yes, I am. Yeah, right down the street, right? Right down yeah. the street, not even a mile. And, and what exactly do you manufacture there? So we actually manufacture uh, diesel engines. Uh, we have the uh, MX-11 diesel engine as well as the MX-13. Um, we actually uh, manufacture our engines for uh, Peterbilt, and um, both, and also Kenworth, um, actually pack our owns both of them. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, I seem to recall that uh, we had one exhibited here last year. Yes. Uh, right? Yeah. Still do. Uh, okay, still, yeah. okay. Yes, I missed it. Well, they're, they're huge, and they're very <laughs> impressive. They, yes. they look like pretty pretty complicated big gadgets, honestly. Uh, but that's that's what you guys built. Yes, yes. We built the engines for those. So, yeah, absolutely. That's right, impressive. Right in Columbus. So, are you at liberty to share what the uh, the range of pay is for these occupations? Absolutely. So, when you're looking at machining, uh, machining starts off uh, right, a little over $20 an hour mm -hmm. um, starting off. Mm -hmm. um, we're mainly hiring for um, evening shift, night shift, as well as we have weekend shift. Uh, for maintenance, it starts off about $23 uh, an hour. Okay. Uh, and also, you can start higher, depends on your education as well as your experience as well. A lot of folks want to know about benefits. What, what's available there? We are still one of the few companies. We are a Fortune 200 company. Uh, we have a pension still. Okay. Wow. You still have a private pension? Still a private pension. Wow. Yeah, we also have 401k. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we have an employee stock purchase plan. Uh, of course, we have medical, dental, vision, uh, and also a lot of other benefits uh, that we have. We have benefits that if you happen to have diabetes in your family, uh, we have uh, different products we serve for that. I mean, PACO has a lot of great benefits. Even we have short-term disability, long-term disability. Um, so we have a lot of benefits that are available to our associates. It's competitive out there for workers, is it not? Yes, it is. The, uh, that, that's an impressive array of benefits. I, I got to believe that factors into the decisions of a lot of prospective workers. That factors, and also the fact that we are a very, very stable company. Uh, yeah. We've been in business for over 115 years. Wow. Uh, we've had straight profit uh, for the last 85 years. Wow. Quarter over quarter, uh, PACO has produced profit. Even during a downturn in the economy, uh, PACO still was able to turn a profit. So that's we important. Very yeah. good company. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, how long has this plant been here? This plant has been here in operation since uh, 2010. And how many employees work at that plant? Uh, we have over 700. Wow, 700. Uh, and are you looking to grow that number or filling in uh, existing? We are uh, definitely looking to grow that number. Okay. Yes. Wow. That's And so it, business must still be pretty good for you then? It's very good. Okay. Every time I drive down the highway and I see our, our <laughs> trucks and our engines in them, make it feel good. Yeah. That's got to that's gotta be a good feeling. Um, well, we appreciate you coming on, James, and, and good luck in, in finding some workers here today and, and uh, appreciate your company for being, um, I, I guess, a, a part of the Mississippi economy. That's very important. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, James. Bye. We're taking a break right here. It's time for uh, Fox News and Super Talk News. When we come back, it's Dr. David Campbell, Executive Director of the East Mississippi Community College Communiversity. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live from the East Mississippi Community College Community for the Big Job Fair. And joining us now is Dr. David Campbell, the Executive Director of the East Mississippi Community College Community. Dr. Campbell, good to see you again, sir. Good to see you. Welcome. Big day today. So I think you just got a report on the number who have come through for the job fair today. Tell us about that. All right. Yes, we're excited. We've, we've had 400 come through so far. That was compared to 270-something last year for the whole event. So That's incredible. Increased. That's incredible. And uh, it looks like we got more employers here today than we did last year, which is we also did. impressive. I mean, so we got this place filled up. Yes. We, we have seen over the last year definitely an increase 
um, and interest by our industry and participating here at the community university. So this is this is good. Well, and and the fact that they are here and and set up and, and investing their time and treasure to be here today, I think it shows that they like uh, the product, the talent right. that comes out of the community university. They do. Yes, they do. They're all they're all partners with us. So we we work closely with our industry here. So and I and, do want to mention before I forget. Yeah. We're here to one o'clock, so you still have time. Okay, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and we just had um, Mr. Goodman from the Pekar Engine Plant just up the road here, uh, talking about how successful this event is uh, for them, and they're looking to grow, expand. I mean, they're less than a mile up the road. Right. A very impressive company, uh, great pay, great benefits, and uh, folks uh, are retained there, which means that that uh, they stay for a long time uh, as an employee, which means they must be treating them right. Yes, it's a great place to work. It's incredible. So uh, how important do you think it is, uh, Dr. Campbell, the community university, just to the overall economy of the Golden Triangle area? And, of course, it extends beyond that uh, for the uh, rest of Mississippi as well. Yeah, I think it's vital. It's, it is one of the big attractions for companies who are looking to move here uh, the link obviously they work with us and, and they they bring companies who are interested in moving here to tour and look at the facility they're they're always very interested uh, many of the companies who are expanding or opening here uh, specifically mention the university yeah. and how important it is to them uh, it's just a great place where everybody comes together just like the name community it's, it's a community place where everybody comes together to to help uh, train people in the technical skills they need to be employable. And so everybody works together, whether it's government or whether it's economic development uh, offices or whether it's our local industry, regional industry, whether it's Mississippi State um, or any nonprofit, they all come together here and we work together to, to help train people. How's the enrollment been the last couple of years? Well, we have different sectors that we house here at the community university. Of course, we have our credit yeah. programs where they come in, they get uh, an associate of applied science degree, typically two-year students. Uh, those we're running about 270, um, excuse me, 240 a semester in those. But then we have uh, all of our customized training for companies as well as our pre-employment training that we do through workforce. And since July of 2022, this past July to now, we've had a little over a thousand people that we've wow. trained. Then we have our Win Job Center here as well, definitely over a thousand uh, served there. At the community university itself, we we have had over 8,000 visitors since July. Wow! Come in. So it's it's definitely important to the community and, and to workforce. Share with us, if you will, uh, examples of some of the courses that uh, a student would complete here. We have uh, our mechatronics program, which is one of the areas that all of the companies are always looking for people to come with that training because those are the individuals who keep the lines running. Sure, they troubleshoot, problem solve, repair any of the equipment because a lot of the equipment today is is automated and so you've got to have those technicians who know how to do that and so mechatronics is a big program we have our our cnc machining program uh this it's a big program that's vitally needed in the area as well um so we've got electrical programs as well 
so any of the anything that has to do with manufacturing, we pretty much offer that here. I seem to recall last year I saw a lab that uh, had a lot of. Uh, uh, networking gear in it as well, yes, right? So we do, we do IT, some training there, yeah. IT is important. Uh, that was moved in here this past year. Uh, as we try to bring all the programs that that help promote Industry 4.0 technologies, which is where uh, all of the equipment in the company are, is connected together and communicates. So if there's a, a, a bearing in a machine that's about to go out, it communicates that. You right. can also order the part schedule when it gets repaired so everything's communicating so you need technicians who are familiar with that as well so IT is a part of that so all of that we've been trying to locate here in the community university to promote industry 4.0 and then we're actually looking at 5.0 now which includes uh, further technology which um, we're going to be adding two great advanced technical programs here at the community university. I can't say what they are yet. We're going to have a big announcement pretty soon uh, that will put us ahead in, in Mississippi, in particular this area, and the training that we provide. So we're excited about that, and that's a partnership with Mississippi State. So. The first time that uh, I visited and observed the community university was, was last year, as I think I shared with you then. And, and I felt then, as I do today, uh, that this ought to be the model that, that we replicate. This seems to me like uh, the template that we should be replicating uh, across our state. Do you, do you get contacted about that? Does that get discussed? Well, each, you know, each, the community colleges in Mississippi are responsible for workforce development. Sure. That's kind of how it's been done. And each, each community college is different. Um, their district is different. Um, I've worked at Counting this one, I've worked at three now. Okay. So every one of them is very different. So this particular format may not work as well, say, in a community college that has a large geographical area. I see. Where they, you know, one place, it's, it's not as accessible by everybody. Yeah. They have to drive a long ways. Uh, but it works really well where you've got, where your counties are more condensed and people can access the facility. Uh, but the model itself and what we do here, yes, we, we get contacted about you know, what we do, and they can replicate it in their own way. Sure. It may not be in a, a nice, fancy building like this one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's impressive. But the services are you know, what's important, the training yeah. that's being done. Anything in particular as we wind down this legislative session that uh, you feel like that the community university or the community colleges in general need uh, from our lawmakers and government in Mississippi? You're getting me into an area I don't normally delve into well, too much. But, uh, yeah, I think the, uh, the legislator, from what I understand, is being very kind to us and working with us this year, uh, helping with, uh, obviously, with uh, the pay of community college staff yeah. and faculty. Um, has kind of fell behind a little bit over the years. Um, so I think they're trying to help with that. Um, of course, anything with workforce is always important for the whole state. So any support we can get there. So. Yeah, well, um, you know, I can certainly just speak uh, from a personal perspective, working in economic development in my home county of Madison County. I mean, it's always top of the list. I mean, right. if you ask for the top three things, it's it's workforce, workforce, workforce. Right. It's one, two, and three from perspective employers or, or organizations uh, looking at uh, commissioning a project, investing in a project in an area. That's what they look at more than anything. Right. 
Yeah, you've got to have the technicians, the people that can run the the factories now. Yeah. It's not like it used to be. It's You can walk in them now, they're extremely clean, and, and uh, sometimes you wonder, where are the people? Yeah, and, uh, high tech. Yeah, yes. Everything's automated, as you indicated. Of course, everything relies on the underlying network to keep right. everything connected and, and, uh, and communicate. Uh, the machine to machine communication, the machine to human communication. Yes. So, and that's that's what keeps all that going. Well, uh, how's the overall health of the community college environment, in Mississippi, right now? How would you rate that? I think it's in great shape. It's uh, the people that are the biggest. Um, I think the biggest thing the community colleges have going for them are the personnel, the faculty, and staff that work, the people. Uh, because they are, they have always have a can-do attitude, and and they do the best with what they've got, and and focus on training and learning for the people. Yeah, so, and that tends to be the focus at community college. That's been my experience over the years, and it still continues. Yeah, I think there's their strength, and and uh, as long as we focus on that. I think that's important. Tremendous asset for the state of Mississippi. Uh, Dr. Campbell, uh, congratulations on all your success here in the big job fair and this community diversity and all the work you do to keep the Mississippi economic engine rolling. Appreciate that, sir. Thank you. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Once again, we're at the East Mississippi Community College Communiversity. Also, a special thank you to Little Dewey, Bart Wood, owner the provi uh, for providing our food today. Slow roasted perfection for over 25 years. Call 662-323-6094 for to-go orders or for catering jobs. We're coming right back here at the Communiversity. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite. On Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks for joining us, everyone. It's middays, and we are remote today, live at the East Mississippi Community College Community for the Big Job Fair. And just as Dr. David Campbell informed us in the last segment, he, of course, is the executive director of the community. You got till one o'clock to get on down here. There are a just a number of fantastic companies here exhibiting all looking for workers and some 400 have uh, come through the facility today visiting with prospective employers and this is the way business gets done it's so good to see employers and employees getting together to talk about opportunities and hopefully land jobs and be productive contribute to society and grow mississippi's economy good stuff so on the ceasefire text line ben from madison says how wacky was it for biden to be joking about ice cream when he's supposed to be addressing the tragedy in nashville yeah uh, ben not sure if you folks uh, caught this from yesterday, but after the the tragedy occurred at the White House, 
he was uh, he scheduled a, a conference to address the shooting in Nashville, and he started out the event. It was a little strange, joking about being known for quote chocolate chip ice cream and Ray Ban. Ray-Ban glasses, of course. He, he wears those aviator-style Ray-Ban glasses and has an affinity for chocolate chip ice cream. He says, quote, I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. That's how he opened up. Quote, you know, it's pretty dull when you've been in public life as long as I have and you've known... And you're known for two things, chocolate chip ice cream and Ray-Ban sunglasses. But what the hell? This is bizarre. This is just... So for a person who has been in politics as long as he has, his entire life essentially, seems by now he would kind of learn what's appropriate and what's not. When you're addressing the public, you're the president of the United States on a day when six people just lost their lives a few hours prior in a tragic, horrific shooting in an elementary school. And this is how you start off? Oh, wow. So, it's... um. Kind of, kind of bizarre. He went on, of course, to address the situation and once again called on Republicans to step up and pass an assault weapons ban. Now, I, this always comes down to this. Every time we have these shootings, we see this. I don't think passing an assault weapons ban would take assault weapons out of circulation and in fact we're we're approaching rapidly a point where virtually anyone with a 3d printer or access to one could produce such a weapon uh, from software appropriate software and the other materials necessary to, to do so and and this is going to be a challenge to government in in that uh, the, the regulation of firearms and is going to be difficult when you consider that we're, we're pretty close to having technology widely available that could produce those uh, and, and in fact negating the need to go to a store that sells firearms and go through the applications process and uh, and then purchase that weapon and have it registered and so forth so th this is this is another situation where technology moves faster than government, and it's going to be a significant challenge uh, to government as time goes on. Rhino, I did take a look at that footage you sent me, and I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that. And, and I'm, I guess, a little surprised that the Nashville Police Department released it. What did you think? Uh, it's harrowing. Um... Thankfully, they edited out, or they didn't edit out, they blurred out the imagery of one of the victims that one of the officers had to walk next to to get to the killer. Yeah. But I think at least partially 
the reason behind releasing the video in such an expedited manner is in response to Uvalde, yeah. where they fought tooth and nail to finally release a heavily edited video, and then the full video got leaked, and they had egg on their face. Whereas in this instance, the Nashville PD have absolutely nothing to hide. In fact, they can showcase the bravery of those who responded and were running towards the sound of gunfire. And when you watch the, the body cam, I, I tweeted it out, the human condition to feel fear when you see somebody in the body cam hit a doorway and they they pause for a second the guy behind them puts a hand on his shoulder and pushes them on in and they just keep going and the whole thing is to the focus to keep going towards the gunfire to eliminate the threat Right, which I, is what I believe they are, they are obviously taught to do as, as professionals uh, in law enforcement. Their, their job is to, is, is to restrain uh, the shooter, uh, the killer at this point, neutralize the killing, end it, and that's what they did. And so they went towards the, the fire uh, to do that. Uh, and they were, of course, I think using their ears, right, where, where you could tell they were listening uh, for where the fire was originating so they could make their way to that point and then do their duty. And then let's be honest, they, they don't want to do this. This is not what they want to do. They know that's what they signed up for. They know that they stand uh, between a killer and, and more innocent individuals losing their lives, and so they're going to act appropriately accordingly. But this isn't what they want to do. But you can tell they've been trained for a situation like this because towards the beginning of the video, when one of the officers is still outside, he has checked his weapon, he's got a key, he's getting ready to enter the building, and you keep hearing him repeating, give me three, I need three. And what he's saying is, I need three people so we can stack up and clear and go into this building. And we need to do it now. And you can hear the urgency in his voice. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, it's best I could tell. I'm no expert on this. It seems to me like it was textbook. It was very efficient and very professional. Uh, and I know your father, being a law enforcement officer, it, what did you think? Yeah, it, it seems like they they had to have had training, and that training kicked in. I mean, I, I haven't gone over it with a fine-tooth comb, but one thing that, that did stick out, again, I hate to dwell on it, but the part of the video where the officer has to walk past the body of a victim and in that moment i don't know what training he's been through for that but you can you can hear his breathing increase you can hear him take deep breaths and you can hear the commands he's giving his his voice is very strained so it it's not like it's a robotic response it's still a human response a human reaction but it's overcoming those emotions is overcoming that fear and still doing your duty yeah absolutely my friend sharon and brandon on the ceasefire text line says the term for the mission going into an active shooter situation is to quote stop the killing absolutely and that is clearly 
uh, from that video appears that that was the mission and, and uh, these law enforcement officers were discharging their mission accordingly and thank God they were there because who knows what further carnage uh, may have uh, transpired had they not been there as rapidly as they were and and then acted with professionalism and, and diligence to take this killer out. It's, it's just re incredibly sad. And you know this will spark the debates about uh, of gun control and just other measures. You wonder once again what sort of uh, security was in place at the school itself. I haven't seen a lot reported on that uh, to guard against these sorts of uh, intrusions by would-be killers that are looking to just spark a bunch of violence. We're stepping aside for a break right here. When we return, it's Lynn Spruill, the mayor of Starkville. Once again, don't don't forget uh, that Little Dewey, Bart Wood, owner for providing uh, the food uh, today, Bart Wood, owner of Little Dewey. Slow roasted perfection for over 25 years. Barbecue, American, and Cajun food. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back with Mayor Spruill. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Day Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios today relocated at the job fair at the East Mississippi Community College Community and joining us now on the set is the mayor of Starkville Mississippi Mayor Lynn Sproul Mayor always good to see you what a great day it is here at the Community Oh this is amazing I think the last time we were here it wasn't quite this busy this I couldn't even find a parking place it was great Same here 400 have come through we were informed uh, by Dr. Campbell a couple of segments ago that's impressive but an impressive array of employers most of whom are, of course are located in the Golden Triangle uh, area and over 400 prospective workers looking for jobs and they're at the right place because these employers are looking for workers as well they are it's it, it is so good to see everybody out and uh, ready to get back to work it was one of the things that I was really worried about for our employers in the region but it looks like they're going to be doing just fine yeah, it, it is awesome, and we just had uh, Mr. Goodman, HR manager at the Pacar plant down the down the road here, and they're looking for folks, and uh, you know, and they're looking for people with specific skills that they develop and acquire here at the community. That's what's so important. I mean, it's amazing to me to think about having a plant, a private sector plant, less than a mile away. And this beautiful facility here with all the tools, all the resources, all the assets preparing workers to go to work at an employer like that. It seems like the perfect arrangement, doesn't it? It does to me. I mean, it's, that's why I say we ought to be replicating this all over the place. Uh, but it's it's a great asset, and I know it's something that uh, that you got to uh, look very favorably on as the mayor of Starkville being in the area. It's got to be a big thing. Absolutely. Uh, training our workers for, for the future, for our jobs at 
matters to our communities. The entire Golden Golden Triangle region certainly and, and absolutely Starkville because I expect everybody to want to live in Starkville. Yeah. They come to work, uh, you know, within 30 miles or so of wherever, but, uh, you know, come back over to Starkville and, and live and eat and play and sure. learn and yeah. all those sorts of things. But, you know, the Golden Triangle region is just booming, and that's just really exciting for us. It is a big project announced uh, not too long ago uh, with Steel Dynamics moving into the area. Uh, producing a lot of jobs, uh, high-paying jobs as well. Indeed. So very impressive. Yeah, it really is. The largest uh, project for the state of Mississippi, $2.5 billion. Incredible. So, the, yeah. the governor, of course, very, very pleased about that, uh, boasting about that as well he should. It's a, it's a big positive mark uh, during his tenure. And and for the link, the, you know, the no GTR about link. You know, no Joe Max worked hard on that one. And, and really, when we landed it, we were all incredibly excited. No doubt about it. I, I know he's been a tremendous tremendous asset uh, for the region as well. I have the opportunity to interview him a few times. And, of course, Joey Deason, who used to work with him, is our um, uh, director down at the Madison County Economic Development Authority, where I have had the honor of serving on the board. And they're, they're, they're kind of cut from the same cloth, but they get things done, and that's the, that's the main thing. You better right? believe it. That's absolutely <laughs> the thing that matters for us. And Joe Max has been wonderful. Joey was wonderful when he was here, and we yeah. wish him the very best where he is now because it all matters for the state of Mississippi. Absolutely. Speaking of which, how are things in Starkville? Uh, Starkville's doing great. We are uh, glad that we got a little dry weather so that we yeah. can move forward with some projects. But we've got um, several, several projects that are keeping us going. Our stretching of thin, actually, if you want to get right down to it. We've got a, you know, a build grant project on Highway 182. We've got a Main Street project for uh, our entire Main Street area. We've got a Cornerstone project. We've got park projects. So we are, we are rocking and rolling and trying to make Starkville the best place to be. Yeah. I know you, like uh, all Mississippians, uh, deeply saddened over the uh, the tragic storms over the weekend and, and the havoc that wreaked uh, certainly on the Delta and all the way across the state through Amory and so forth. Have you had any conversations with any of your uh, counterparts of those cities? Well, I have not. I, I know that they are absolutely, you know, sure. just working so hard, and, and I didn't want to interrupt them, but we did send fire department up. We okay. sent our, our utilities department up, and we've been receiving, uh, I think we've received so far 27 dogs and, and cats and wow. been taking care of them in our sure. Humane Society and working with MSU, actually, uh, trying to see if we can find a, a location for them out at the horse park so they can you know they can be safe and be be taken care of the the american uh, humane society is is coming in as well so we're doing our best from a distance to try yeah. to be helpful in in ways that we can yeah and it, i think uh, again uh we certainly don't like the reason but it, it sure does bring to the forefront just how generous and and how uh loving Mississippians are of their fellow Mississippians anytime there's a need like this. Oh, absolutely. We The first thing you do is, what, how can we help? Yeah. How can we, what can we do? You know, our Rotary Club has jumped in as well, so we've had a number of people who have participated in, in helping where we can. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what about uh, your financial situation? You know, I always got to ask you about that. How's it going in Starfield with it's, your revenues? It's going great. Our sales tax is up, our 2% as well as the 7% that we get, um, and I just see people who want to be out and and being in the community that you know they're shopping and they're eating and and just generally being available to to be with one another in a social setting and so we're really really pleased that uh, people feel good about being out and about but it's reflected in our sales tax obviously what attracts people to start Mayor? 
Besides you, of course. Well, what attraction? I'm right. Yeah, there you go. I'm buying that one. Uh, we are, I think we're, we have a, an approach that's a quality of life approach that people want to be here. Uh, you know, we're focusing on things like uh, being outside our, our sidewalks, our bike paths. We're partnering with MSU. Obviously, MSU is a big piece of that. Sure. But our partnership with them and the county in, in doing some things that, you know, aren't necessarily things that you see done. And we've, we've part, partnered with the county for um, overlaying of roads. Um, we're going to partner with them for hopefully uh, using one of their facilities. So I think there's lots of opportunities when we work together. And those three, or the three of us, MSU, the county, and Startwell have been really fortunate that we found ways to partner that matter to the community. Yeah. You, you talked uh, just a moment ago about some of the uh, infrastructure projects that you've got going on, which, of course, is important. And when you've got uh, a growing community, that means uh, there's more stress on the infrastructure. So you got to have more of that to keep up. And, and you can't really grow the economy unless you've got the necessary infrastructure to, to service them. Are there any economic development projects here at Liberty to discuss you can tell us about that well, are in the works? I would I would love to be able to say there are. I know that we have a spec building up at our North Star Industrial Park. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, um, Mr. Higgins is working on that for us. But GTR Link is our, is our piece of the sure. economic development that isn't retail, that yep. is the industrial. And so he's constantly keeping us in the loop on things that are people are looking up there. So I anticipate that with this new aluminum plant that we're going to see some yeah. activity that's going to go up there in the, in the near term. I suspect that's right as well. And you know, something else that doesn't come up a lot, but you've got two fairly close in proximity uh, high-quality airports as well that service the area. Yes, we and do. And I know that's something near and dear to you, of course. It is. It is. And I you know, love GTR with the commercial service, but yeah. our our local airport, our Bryan Field, is active. And with the Raspit Lab out there, yep. they're looking to expand. We're building hangars. We're constantly looking at people who are having to turn people away who want hangar space. We're ex- extending that runway, so it's, it's really blowing and going. We're doing good. You know, it, it doesn't come up a lot, but I know you know this. It's an asset. Is it not to economic oh, development? Huge asset, absolutely huge asset. I, I, you know, they put numbers to it, but uh, I don't have them off the top of my head. Yeah. But, but it is absolutely an asset. We get our jet fuel sales, our avgas sales, um, hangar hangar rentals, just activity coming through matters a whole lot. And we try to be as very uh, as, as accessible as possible in making people want to think think about that if they don't want to mess with the commercial traffic sure. coming into GTR then we're an easy place to come into the legislative session they're about to sign a die down there at the Capitol in Jackson anything in particular you were tracking um, well we were looking at a local and private yeah. that, that impacted our hotel revenue and so I think that one got passed okay. which is which is wonderful and of course we're always always watching the legislature to see what they're going to do we worry about our uh, our sales tax percentage yeah. the diversion we worry about the road the use tax and all yeah. of that so your lifeblood it, well it is it is and when it gets when it gets manipulated a little bit we have to we have to plan and we have to plan ahead and, and of course purge is is killing us yes. in terms of the cost of what that's going to do to us you know we were looking at a minimum of a two mil increase with that purge uh, obligation it's sort of I would call it an unfunded mandate yeah. at this point yeah um, so it, it really is something that we're very concerned about. 
That looks like it's been put off uh, six months or so, right? To, at this point, that's all indications are July 24. But, uh, Mayor, I know you and, and others in state government and, and municipal government as well know this. We got to do something about PERS. Well, I mean, no question about it. There, you know, absolutely. It's you just can't do it all at once. Right. I mean, it's hard because two mills that Im- that impacts our businesses. Right. It obviously impacts our residents and how what are they going to do? So, um, you know, we are concerned about that. It's one of those things that to me should be an incremental increase as opposed to you know, oh well, we need to do it and do it now. Yeah. So I think that there is m- there are multiple ways to skin that cat, and yep. I would just prefer it to be a little slower. Well, it's it's election year, so it didn't get quite the attention. It probably would, but I believe when they come back in the session in 24 post-elections, you're going to see a lot of focus placed on that. Yeah, it's going to need to be. Yeah. Mayor, appreciate you joining us today. Congratulations on all the success in Starkville, Mississippi. Thank Thank you for joining us. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We're coming right back with more at 11.50 today. We've got Philip Calhoun, Vice President of Yokohama Tire. Stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. back everyone to midday super talk mississippi we are live at the east mississippi community college community for the job fair joining us now philip calhoun vice president yokohama tire mr calhoun good to have you on midday sir what do you think about this big job fair today i think it's awesome i think it's awesome it shows absolutely that mississippi has a lot of Quickly 
All right, we're back. Rhino, you got us? Yeah, sorry about that. We had a little power issue, but we are back. We're talking to Mr. Philip Calhoun, Vice President of Yokohama Tire. So we were just talking about this great job fair event. Are, is your company, you're exhibiting here today. You're looking yes, for work. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, we are. We're here. What, what sort of folks are you looking for? Uh, we're looking for all types of talented individuals that fit, fit every field of human endeavor. We're just looking for good people that's willing to work hard and willing to make Yokohama a career. Yeah. That is the main qualification. And uh, you've got a facility not far from here, right? That's correct. Approximately three and a half miles away from, from here, uh, we have a facility. And how many folks work there? Uh, on any given time, between 850 to 900 that wow. are on site at any given time. Wow. So a very, very nice-sized facility. Yeah. Have, um, have you utilized the community in, in any way? Do you work with them on, on uh, producing training? Yes. Developing we, training? Yes, we have. We've worked with them for years, and we've, we've always been a participant uh, here at this particular job fair. And we've always seen a healthy flow of extremely qualified applicants. Yeah. Um, so I'm always pleased uh, to participate uh, on behalf of Yokohama Tire. Sure. Does it, uh, does it feel like uh, that when they come out of here and they've been through the training here at the community university, they're pretty much ready to, to hit the ground running when they come to work for you? You know, one of the major opportunities that we have in the state of Mississippi is overall workforce development. Mm -hmm. And really, the community, community university really prepares uh, students for multiple job opportunities. And you're seeing a witness of that today. I mean, just about every single job opportunity that you're looking at, from food services to manufacturing um, to automotive, it's a variety of different uh, companies that are here. And it really does, the curriculum really does prepare you for a variety of great job and career opportunities. Yeah, and that's a good point because you can certainly tell that just by looking around the, uh, the room at, at just the d diversity of the industries of the employers that are represented here, looking for just a wide range of skills, and, and many of those can be acquired right here at the university. Right here, right here at the university. You know, yeah. I, I always tell people, you know, when they get an education you don't have to run away from home you don't have to run away from the state of mississippi we have plenty of good job opportunities where you can make a good affordable wage and make a good living and make a career out of it right here that's a great point and uh, appreciate you spreading that message as well because it is important it's the only way we're going to continue to move our state forward and that improves the quality of life for all mississippians absolutely. and that's what it's about absolutely Phil, appreciate you joining us, and uh, good luck on your endeavors of, of uh, hiring some of these great people out of here. All right. Thank Sounds you, sir. Good. Thank you. We're coming right back after Super Talk News and Fox News. Later on in the program, Annette Rowland from the American Red Cross will wind things up today with Tim Sykes, production manager for ABB Baldor Electric Group. Stay with us. of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Love, 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 love. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi Live from the East Mississippi Community College uh, Community University. That's where we are for the big job fair up here today. And uh, from my vantage point here on a little stage in the seminar hall, lots of employers are meeting with prospective employees, many of whom, of course, are students, graduates of uh, the community fantastic curriculum they have here it really is an impressive place folks it's it's not like the typical classroom setting you're accustomed to seeing i can assure you of that and of course what caught my attention rhino was the room full of a bunch of cisco networking gear which is how i made a living for a long time and they're training folks to uh to be able to design um at least simple networks and, and of course install all the technology all the infrastructure to create those networks and then the big part is supporting and administering those networks that's what keeps all these all these factories and all these businesses uh, pumping and they've got to have all that information to do so and especially in the modern factory the modern shop floor where as uh, we've heard folks on the show talk about today everything's fully automated that means all of those machines are directly connected via ethernet into the corporate enterprise network and all of that integration makes uh, of course these companies uh, extremely productive in the produce in the production I should say of the the products that they make and they rely on this technology to do so it is incredibly impressive and so we're just glad to be here and I again I just like seeing all the buzz this is capitalism at its finest these are these are workers looking for jobs and jobs looking for workers and they're gonna work through deals is what they're gonna do to to land a job and and when we had earlier on in the program Adam Todd director of the Mississippi governor's job fair say that they measure success by seeing uh, the the, the uh, folks that come here looking for work when they walk out and they got a job and uh, tears are streaming out of their eyes uh, because they've got gainful employment to keep the lights on as he says and to to take care of themselves and their families that's what it's all about that's what makes this country so great and we can't ever lose sight of that you know it's those dirty greedy dastardly employers in here that are hiring people and paying them for their work and we've got unfortunately folks in this country particularly on the left side of the aisle that do nothing but but just trash and and um, and scold those companies uh, it's 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 crazy how they tend to just beat up on what that which uh, makes this country so great so productive so prosperous and so free unbelievable speaking of which along those lines a recent poll produced uh, by uh, the uh, Wall Street Journal NORC poll this was really shocking this was conducted with the NORC at the University of Chicago, a nonpartisan research organization, found that American values have changed quite a bit. That which is important to Americans at a, at a minimum have changed. Patriotism, for example. Seventy percent of the country in 1998 
said that patriotism was, quote, very important to them. In 2023, here recently, 38%. From 70% to 38%. So a 50% roughly decrease in the number of people in this country who believe that patriotism is very important. Religion. Religion, again, same time period, 1998 to 2023, a decline of uh, about 21%, 20, 23% from 62% in 1998 of people who said religion was very important to now 39%. Less than half the country believe religion is, quote, very important. Having children, something we've talked about on the program before. In 1998, 60%, 60% of those at childbearing age said having children, very important to them. 30%, 30%. If we don't produce new people, we can't survive. It's simple as that. Elon Musk has warned about this on a regular basis. He has warned that we're running out of workers. And this poll certainly reflects that. 59% said, yeah, having children, very important in 1998. Now, 30%. 30%. Community involvement. How about that? Just a short Four years ago, in 2019, 62% of Americans said community involvement was very important. Now it's 27%. I honestly do believe that this is a direct result of the messaging coming out of the left in this country. America is inherently evil, it's racist, it's all the various isms and, and phobics, and we just got to trash the Constitution and traditional American values and reimagine a new country. And that's the message. In our schools, this is being taught, just as is critical race theory, which essentially is rooted in Marxism, in the essence of Marxism is division, dividing people into groups, inherited racial identity, for example, and guilt on certain segments of the population, uh, dividing us into groups of oppressors and the oppressed. Uh, originally, and, and most, I guess, frequently, Marxism tends to divide on the basis of, of economic status. But that's been changed and hijacked quite a bit, certainly in the 80s with critical race theory as an example. And I guess most recently, it seems like every day you turn around, it's more gender ideology being rammed down the throats of Americans and in our schools. You got the left that is really bashing Ron DeSantis in Florida as being a fascist because he doesn't want to indoctrinate children with radical gender ideology 
and sexual orientation. We're talking about kindergartners. And it makes you wonder, do they support any sort of protection whatsoever? Ever. You've got books and materials that have explicit pornography and sex acts featured in them in schools. Should there be any limitations whatsoever? The left says, well, you're suppressing free speech. This is fascist. You're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to shape young minds. Shape them. We want to shape them with things like math and reading and science and, and, and virtues and principles that made the country great, like free speech and meritocracy. What's wrong with that? Rather than this silly equity narrative, which is a farce. It's not even achievable. And it shouldn't be achieved. The, the market decides, period. Nearly half of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run in 2024, a recent poll finds. 44% prefer that President Joe Biden not seek re-election. This has got to be unprecedented for a sitting president a year and a half away. 44% say don't run. Don't, don't be the party's standard bearer. 25% say they want him to seek a second term. And 30% have no preference either way. So a plurality of Democrats say they want someone else to run in 2024. And this is a Monmouth poll, which are fairly reliable polls. 13% say they'd like to see Vice President Kamala Harris uh, be the presidential nominee if Biden doesn't run. 6% want Rhino's favorite, Bunny Sanders. And 6% want Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. 4% want Senator Elizabeth Warren, who, by the way, yesterday announced I know you're heartbroken over this. She's not running for president, but she is, however, seeking re-election to her office as a senator of the Bay State of Massachusetts. We are stepping aside for a break right here. When we return, Annette Rowland with the American Red Cross. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi at the East Mississippi Community College Community. Joining us now, Annette Rowland with the American Red Cross. Annette, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, tell us uh, what you guys got going on uh, in the wake of the tornadoes that ravaged the state of Mississippi uh, over the weekend. Well, there you're right. There's a lot going on. Um, a lot of areas have been, been affected for sure. And so we are 
doing everything that we can to make sure that people's immediate needs are taken care of. You know, we have shelters. We have three shelters open right now across Mississippi. And we're also um, in the community doing feeding in many of those areas where they're still without power and probably will be for weeks. So we're making sure people have warm food to eat. Um, We're providing water and snacks. And that's a safe place to go for people that just don't have anywhere else to go. Incredible. And you've been uh, providing meals as well, correct? Yeah, you're right. We have been um, going through, we, we provide meal at the shelter, and anybody's welcome to come pick up a meal. You know, you don't have to be staying at the shelter to get one. But in a lot of areas, you also see those those big Red Cross vans, and they're circling through communities, making sure that people that are at home that may be cleaning up that still have a home, uh, making sure that they have food as well. Because, it, you know, it's, it, it feels good right now, thankfully, because it's, it's the springtime weather, but um, it's still a daunting task. To, to do that by yourself so we want to make sure that people are being fed and that they're staying hydrated yeah absolutely uh, so you said three shelters set up at this point do you have a count of the number who were actually staying in the shelters yeah a lot that we had about 30 people staying in those shelters um, that number uh, you know the good thing is that number is starting to um to decrease every every day, but we're going to be here as long as needed. Um, and if there's 30 people staying in the shelters, those are 30 people that need need us to be there. And so we're, our shelters will be there um, until they have somewhere where they can get Now, I know the Red Cross, of, of course, uh, utilizes uh, full-time resources that, that work for the organization, but also there are a number of volunteers that get involved in situations like this as well. Has that been the case here? You're exactly right. Um, I think a lot of people don't know that the Red Cross, it's um, 90% of our workforce, 90% is volunteers. Um, that's amazing. And that's what we're seeing on the ground now. We've got over 200 people that are on the ground. Um, the first people on the ground were from our communities right here in Mississippi. Uh, some of them were impacted as well, but they were more concerned with taking care of, of their community than they were with dealing with what was going on in, in their backyard. Um, and then the next couple of days, we started to see people come in from all across the country to help um, that are proud Red Crossers wearing that vest. Anything we can do to help, we're, we're here. And so we do have about 200 people on the ground, and those numbers will continue to increase. Um, because this isn't going to be a quick response by any means. Right. So have you uh, brought, has the Red Cross brought in uh, uh, workers, Red Cross workers and volunteers from other states as well? We have. We have. We have um, probably about 100, 120 of us are, are from Alabama and Mississippi. And then the other 100, uh, they are coming, like I said, they're, they're coming in today, driving in, flying in um, from, par- from um, all over the country. We have, I know on just my team here with communications, I've got someone who came down from North Carolina and also someone here from Chicago. Uh, we've got shelter workers who are here from Texas. Uh, many of many of them also served during Hurricane Katrina and many of the other um, unfortunate disasters we've seen since that time. But they, one thing we can count on is that they are going to be here and they are going to do everything that they can to help people cope. 
So the organization, the Red Cross, I mean, you, you guys were obviously watching the weather. I know that uh, uh, there, there are a lot of resources that are paying attention to weather events across the country and, and across the world, for that matter, that um, just to be on the, on the lookout and to be prepared uh, to respond, to mobilize, knowing that there likely is to be a need. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's something that we, this is why we do this, and this is why we train 365 days a year. We are on the ground making sure that we're having these conversations with our partners, having these conversations with our communities, and teaching them preparedness skills for when disasters do hit. Um, as you know, unfortunately, Mississippi is no stranger to disasters, and so it's even more important that we as a community be prepared for things like this. So we continue to have those conversations, have those practices, have those drills so that when disasters hit, we can be ready to hit the ground rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, you're right. We, we have uh, been uh, hit with a number of catastrophic events like this here in, in Mississippi. As you said, we're no stranger to this. Something I wanted to touch on uh, that, that I learned from um, serving as a, as a board member of the uh, American Red Cross, the Southwest Mississippi chapter, is that house fires are the disaster that the Red Cross uh, responds to more than any, certainly in Mississippi. You're right. Um, yeah, every eight every eight minutes, you know, unfortunately, this, this statistic around the country is every eight minutes someone dies in a house fire, and that's, that's sad. That's, um, it's tragic, and it doesn't have to happen. And so, yes, that's why we uh, put so much emphasis on people having those plans, having those conversations with their family members before things like this happen so you know where to go, um, and also checking those smoke alarms to make sure that they're working because they save lives. No doubt. Annette, what, what can the average person do uh, to help out in a situation uh, like uh, we have here in the aftermath of the tornadoes that ripped across the state? What can they do either individually or, or with uh, any sort of organizations that are involved in the recovery efforts, including the American Red Cross? There's a couple things that people can do because everybody's situation is different, right? So, number one, uh, if you are able, um, volunteer. It makes a huge difference, and it makes you feel good knowing that you are doing something that will help someone else. But it also it helps our community be stronger. Um, you can sign up to become a Red Cross volunteer, or you can volunteer with your favorite organization, whatever it is. Um, I encourage people to volunteer because it really is a rewarding experience. Uh, if you're interested in doing that with Red Cross, um, you can go to redcross.org slash volunteer today. But I understand that not everybody's able to do that. So um, another way that you can help if you're able is by making a financial donation. Even something as small as $5 um, goes to help people. Like uh, $5 can buy a, a, um, a, can provide a blanket for people in a shelter. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know about people out there, but I am one of those people. I love a blanket. Even if it's hot, I love a blanket because it, it brings me comfort. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people stay in our shelters that feel that same way. So just $5 um, can provide a meal to someone in a shelter. Um, and it really helps us be able to identify what the need is and how to get the help that that person needs. 
that's the quickest way. And lastly, um, for anybody, you know, if you don't want to volunteer with the Red Cross, don't want to make a donation with the Red Cross, that's fine. I understand. Um, check out your Volunteer Mississippi. Uh, there's a lot of different volunteer opportunities on Volunteer Mississippi. Um, and I know the United Way here has been taking in volunteers. Many of them have been helping us distribute food. So there's so many ways to, to get involved and help. Yeah, great, uh, great advice there. Appreciate that. Uh, a final question for you here is to what extent and how does the American Red Cross coordinate with other emergency response uh, entities? We've got FEMA, MEMA all involved in this particular event, law enforcement uh, and others, and then lots of just other volunteer organizations. You guys coordinate with them as well, do you not? We do, and that um, you know that goes to goes to my point earlier that we you know we're training for this um, every we're training for this every month every day of the year, and so having those 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 partnerships in place really helps us hit the ground, figure out okay this is who can do what this is what we need we're able to share resources we're able to talk to each other um, if we say you know that this. This community needs the shelter at this place, and we can quickly set up that shelter, get it in place. Uh, if we need pe- we need help clean, um, getting supplies out of a large semi trailer, uh, United Way is one of those wonderful organizations. They'll find those volunteers and send them over and help do it. It really is, you know, disaster response is such a community effort, and there's no one organization that can do it alone. And so that's why it is imperative that we have those relationships, and we're so grateful for our partners. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Well, Annette, we certainly do appreciate uh, you joining us today and giving us this update and also just appreciate all the great work that the American Red Cross does, especially the, uh, of course, the workers who who are just labor tirelessly in these situations. As you said, this is what they prepare prepare for, but also the the army of volunteers that also work side by side with the American Red Cross to help these people in their time of need. Appreciate it. Thank you, Annette. Thank you. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. We're coming right back. Half an hour of the program left. We are at the East Mississippi Community College Community. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, 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 huge,
We are back on Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live at the East Mississippi Community College Community, the job fair up here. It's about to wind down here in just a few minutes. Uh, the companies are starting to break down their booths and their tables set up here in the exhibit hall, but they've had a great day because there have been lots of prospective employees, workers that have been through here and had a number of what certainly appear to me to be productive discussions because they're writing stuff up, exchanging cards, taking down information, and I bet what will come of that is some jobs. That's what it's all about, folks. So, And that's what this job fair is all about, is to put Mississippians to work and, more importantly, uh, to keep these these uh, very talented young folks to come through. And it's not just young people, by the way. So a lot of these folks are uh, kind of in their prime working uh, phase, uh, age of life. And they come here to the community to acquire new skill sets. And uh, they are ready to hit the streets running when they come out of here and go to work for many of the great employers uh, throughout the Golden Triangle area and, of course, the state of Mississippi in general. So... Did you guys find this information that I shared from the latest Wall Street Journal NORC poll rather shocking that patriotism is on such a steep decline as being very important in the lives of Americans, religion, hard work? What they did say, however, this is the only measurement, the only question where the results increased as a percentage of respondents from 1998 to present day, 2023. 31% in 1998, 31% of those surveyed in America said that money was very important. And now 43% of them say that money is very important. The problem, however, is that I just wonder, Rhino, how many of these people think that they should actually have to go earn that money and that they might have to experience uh, a bit of delayed gratification. You might have to start at the bottom and work your way up and prove your value and your worth to an employer or perhaps you're an entrepreneur to society, to the market in order to achieve some degree of a comfortable financial status. Uh, that That's the fundamental problem. It seems to me like we've been uh, we've been promoting this narrative that you're just entitled to this, that, and the other uh, all through this nonsensical push for equity. Uh, what that really means is that, well, you're entitled to what the folks who have excelled in, in uh, various endeavors have earned. You're entitled to what they have. That would be equitable. Not talking about equal opportunity in that you had the same opportunity that others in society have had that have uh, achieved greater success, and that includes greater financial rewards. You're just entitled to it. That's the, that's the idea of equity, and it's, it's terrible. It's destructive. It's the march to mediocrity, as I like to call it. 
Uh, Andy on the ceasefire text line says, what can you tell us about the guy possibly being confirmed as the new state superintendent of education? Don't know a whole lot, Andy, other than when uh, originally it was announced, when was that, Rhino, a couple of months ago, it was announced uh, that the Department of uh, Education, the board, I should say, the Board of Education had extended an offer. Uh, Mr. Taylor, don't remember the first name, I believe, from North Carolina. And there were certainly some indications in his past that he didn't look favorably upon the state of Mississippi. I think in his social media, had made some negative statements about the Magnolia State. And uh, also had, had uh, written some papers that indicated to me he was somewhat a fan of uh, critical race theory, uh, being part of the curriculum in our public schools, and and those are causes for concern on 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 my part, and I think on the part of a lot of Mississippians. It just in general, the way the left has tried to uh, really just seize control of of uh, all of the content, the entire curriculum in our schools. Uh, is is disconcerting to say the least, and and that really kind of is rooted in this sort of no holes barred sexual explicitness and and uh, this radical gender ideology of late. And then I think prior to that, going back to just after the George Floyd incident just the adoption of critical race theory and all sorts of diversity, equity, and, and inclusion uh, departments and resources and money being spent on that, uh, really just off the chart. And, and so I think where that really kind of came to a head is, is the election of Governor Glenn Youngkin in uh, the state of Virginia, a, a notoriously blue state, and has been kind of ground central for uh, a lot of the craziness happening in public schools, very affluent public school districts such as Fairfax County that have completely embraced the entire DEI narrative and have, have uh, disallowed uh, parents to address the board of uh, the district boards uh, over the school districts in those areas and some of the materials we've seen that are being taught in those schools, they're all concerning. And so Governor Youngkin kind of ran on a platform of eliminating all that stuff and calling attention to it. And now, Rhino, there's a college that he's scheduled to speak at that uh, I, I have heard is trying to uh, trying to ban him from speaking on that college just because of his views. It's it it's so upside down, isn't it? Because the people who tell us that they're so tolerant, that they're so diverse and and so inclusive, are the very ones that seem to make a living excluding, excluding. And that is the case here with Governor Glenn Youngkin, who I think's done a fine job. So one of the first things he did was just eliminate any teaching in school, for example, that holds a person responsible responsible for past sins, a person down to a student, simply because of their their race. If you're a white student in in a certain school districts in Virginia before Governor Yunkin, you were told by teachers and administrators you are responsible for slavery. You're telling a third grader that. This is insane. What is this? Why is this even being discussed? 
in schools. That's not to say that we should not, of course, teach our, our accurate history. Slavery is, is abhorrent, and it is a stain on our past. It happened. We can't do anything about it. I don't know anybody that looks favorably on it today, and we should teach it certainly what occurred in our in our schools and but we should also teach the positives that came out of that the the emancipation and uh, the freedom and equality that uh, are, are are so prevalent in society today we don't ever seem to talk about that we're just dwell on what happened 150 years ago and then try to hold some third grader responsible for it and then we also tell them you know the nuclear family is bad and hard work and rugged individualism and math and and being punctual and all the other things that that uh, make for a, a quality society and a respectful society and a productive society we've got the left telling our children now that those are all elements of white supremacy and that's just totally wrong Andy says from what I've been told he's very liberal just wondering what you might know I've heard the same I've read a couple of his papers Andy and I think you could gather from his papers that he certainly leans fairly left uh, talking about the the newly uh, appointed or nominated I guess is what you would call uh, I'm not sure the exact legal terminology there the Board of Education is responsible for hiring the superintendent of education but that does require uh, advice and consent of the the Senate, the state Senate. But Andy says because appointments such as this are true, one of the main reasons we are in the shape we are in. I I agree, and I think it's pro it's a problem. Gosh, I may have misunderstood this, but I saw where MDOC requested almost 30 million additional appropriations for this year. This has been from Madison. Having the highest incarceration rate is really expensive to the taxpayers. I think it's just a matter, of Ben, that I always go back to is do we have the highest uh, incarceration rate because we're locking up people we shouldn't be, or is it because we got more people committing crime that are getting locked up? It's, it's a tough call that we could talk about for hours. George Mason University named after a founding father, says Ray on the coast. We're taking a break right here. When we come back, it's Tim Sykes, production manager of ABB Valdor Electric Group. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone a little little more info on uh, the State Board of Education uh, which named the new superintendent of education it is dr. Robert Taylor 30-year veteran educator is from Mississippi uh, Jones County I believe educated at uh, Southern Mississippi and has been working in the, the uh, education realm in North Carolina uh, for quite some time. So does have Mississippi roots. Just wanted to pass that on. And uh, joining us now, Tim Sykes, production manager of Baldor Electric Group. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Quite an event here at the community University. Yes, sir. And actually, um, here recently, uh, 
since last summer, I've been promoted to the HRVP there okay. in Columbus. Uh, I was a um, production manager for the past eight years. I got better. you. So um, I'm the HRVP. Which is why you're here today. Yes, sir. Looking for some talent, huh? Exactly, yeah. So um, currently our forecast is uh, our order intake is much more than our um our forecast so we've um, we're looking to increase our production uh labor by nine percent so wow we are really taking on some orders right so, so what exactly do you do the electric group what do you what do you make okay we build and manufacture electric industrial motors uh, and this mainly for blower fans and um pumps and that type that sort of thing i see ship it's, those all over the world all over the world yes sir uh, used in like industrial applications primarily or primarily yeah. industrial applications uh, we have uh, industrial applied technologies uh, and green heck fan are some of our major I see. Uh, customers and where's the factory it's located in Columbus it's approximately a mile and a half to two miles from downtown Columbus I see it's out on the island and how many workers do you have now about 292, and as I stated, you know, we, we're trying to increase it by 9%. Wow. You know, we're looking for, um, of course, skill positions, whether it's uh, two-year certifications all the way to um, degreed employees as well. And we do have some general labor positions that um, we're trying to fill as soon as possible. Yeah. So did you meet some folks you think you might want to hire today? Yes, sir. Um, I really got some uh, good good feeds on some uh, salary position. We're looking for production supervisors, uh, IT position, uh, maintenance tech positions. Um, we got quite a few openings. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. Can, can you share with us the, the range of uh, compensation for those positions? Uh, as far as the wage range, um, um, our grade one position start out um, once you're hired on. Um, once you're hired on, you're a full-time employee. Mm -hmm. um, they start out around $23 an hour. Mm -hmm. um, the um, maintenance tech position, um, um, they start out at around $26. I see. Yes, sir. But um, the, the general assembler grade one position, um, hired on, um, trained, and just initial base pay with, is just over 23 However, we do hire a lot of our assembly positions um, no experience. We bring them in, train them, and that type of thing. We do hire through a staffing agency. I see. And those employees come in at a slight uh, different different rate. I see. And that would start off at uh, from fourteen dollars an hour to um, hired on at roughly around eighteen. Have you, uh, has your company worked with a university here in developing any any specialized training? Yes, sir. We've uh, had two classes of um, CNC classes that were trained specifically for our application there at uh, Columbus and uh, we've had two of those classes and we've had really some successful uh, team members to come through that class and we, we've been able to kind of get some stuff established as uh, as far as that, that CNC training program here. Uh, we currently have a um, an employee that's going through the apprentice program that's uh, in school here as well and there's a apprentice program um, we're upskilling them to be a maintenance man for our facility I see um, the shop floors changed a little bit you said eight years um, you, you worked in production right so the shop floors changed a bit over that period of time is it not yes of course it has but now granted I've been with the company for 29 years okay so, 
seen it. And I've uh, worked myself. I came through as a temporary employee myself, awesome. as an operator on the floor and worked in that capacity as well as uh, production supervisor, scheduler, uh, co continuous improvement into uh, being a production manager and now the HRBP there at that site. That's fantastic. So for such a, a long career, long tenure with a company, must be a good company to work for, huh? It has been an awesome company to work for. I'm, I'm proud to say that um, I got a lot of roots there and even prior to myself working there personally, um, my dad has been there for over 45 years. Yeah. Wow, that is awesome. Well, congratulations on uh, the success of the company, your personal success as well, and Thank thanks you. for joining us here on Middays, and, and good luck uh, filling those positions. I'm sure you find some good folks. Thank you. We've had some great applicants come through today. That is awesome. We are out of time here today at the Community I'll be taking a break tomorrow, serving on a little health care panel for Secretary of State Michael Watson back in the Element Wealth studios on a Thursday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Talk Mississippi Media Production.